You know, the culture is actually damn good. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hey, where y'all at? Mr. Mr. North of South American, all ships at sea, let's go to press. This is Trafalgar Square. The noise that you hear at the moment is the sound of the air raid siren. Uh, this young man has had a very trying rookie season. What with the litigation, the notoriety, his subsequent deportation to Canada, and that country's refusal to accept him, well, I guess that's more than most 21-year-olds could handle. Who the hell are you guys? Charles and Mambo and Ajax and their Aunt Bev, her boyfriend King Chicken. How has tabloid journalism become so influential and so popular in today's world? I think that I definitely want to keep my relationship, you know, a little bit more guarded. Kim went public with a relationship with Kanye in March. It's pretty good television. We don't do good television, we do the news. Rose! Come on, I love you, Rose. Does everybody have to be crazy today? Now get me Savian! Hi-o! Welcome to the Tuesday Show, everybody. Bob Matthews here with you, courtesy of the Sports Journey.com network. We are glad that you are joining us and... After the Giants lost last night, we can officially say that the Bob Matthews Podcast is your home for the official NFC East leading Washington football team. Yes, that's right. For at least the next two weeks, your Washington football team is going to have a sh- at least a share of, if not outright possession, of first place. Hard to believe, and hey, it's just week one, but let's go ahead and milk it for all it's worth, because we all know that this thing can turn south in a hurry. The team is off today. Players got the day off. They'll come in for treatment and whatnot, although did you notice that the injury report, not really much of one. Uh, Cole Holcomb got a little nicked on, I think it was either a kickoff or a punt return. I can't remember. I think it was a punt return. Yeah, it came up a little lame on. Other than that, nothing really to speak of. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of throwing it out there with the new training staff. Props to Ryan Vermillion and all those guys. Uh, Washington does have five wide receivers that are working out in Ashburn today. Among them, Hakeem Butler, who was a second-round draft pick of the, the Arizona Cardinals last year, spent all of the year on injured reserve with a thumb, and got cut at the end of training camp. Could be a reclamation, uh, reclamation project uh, that, you know, Low low floor, high ceiling type of thing um, for Washington. We'll see what comes out of that. But no doubt, Brain Trust is saying we, we got to have another option there. They are missing Kelvin Harmon right now, big time. And they got to have somebody that, that can step up. And I guess, you know, Dontrell Inman not really effective uh, for whatever reason. You know, they just brought Cam Sims up from the practice squad on Friday, uh, but he didn't make much of an impact. So we'll see what happens. See if they um, bring another, you know, sign one of these guys that they brought in here today. Start something new, and we're going to do this every Tuesday. Uh, and it goes along with an article that a uh, story that I'll post every Tuesday as well at sportsjourney.com. And it's our value up segment. We're going to go over the tape and pick out. Three guys on the team that, we, if they were a stock, you would want to buy them this week because their stock is on the way up. So, let's go ahead and talk some football. Somebody, do me a favor and cue the dramatic music, will you?
I'm going to try and make this just slightly different than you'd, you'd normally see with a deal like this. Um, I mean, it's, you know, there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit there. Obviously, Chase Young is somebody who you'd say, you know, his stock is going up. But, you know, then again, he already started pretty much in, in Apple territory on his way to Berkshire Hathaway. So let's try to dig a little bit deeper on the roster and and talk about some guys that maybe you wouldn't ordinarily say, oh, yeah, something a little bit more than just the ordinary. All right, so here we go. Uh, our first stock that is on the rise, one that you want to buy. Buy, buy, buy! That's Sadiq Charles. <laughs> I know. Yeah, he was inactive. I get it. Uh, that doesn't say a lot about the left tackle position right now, and this probably was not the guy you would figure to see first on the list, or second, or third. Uh, Jerron Christian Sr. did not look like he had a good game. Now, the coach's tape as of this moment, as we are recording this, has not come out yet, so I will. I, I want a chance to look at it and see. He had a chance to lock down the left tackle spot, but as of right now, I'm saying inconclusive at best. The thing that sticks out to me, it was the second play of the game, uh, Antonio Gibson was running one way. Brandon Graham ran Antonio Dips, Gibson down from the backside. It was Christian's job to just get a body on on Brandon Graham because Morgan Moses uh, pulled to come around and, and, and create the hole for him. He barely laid a glove on him, and because of that, uh, Antonio Gibson was tackled for a loss. Um, you know, Charles is a guy that had – if not a first, a second-round grade from a lot of organizations. There was the maturity issue. Ed Ogeron has vouched for him. So if he really has first- or second-round talent, i got to think that if not this week, sometime within the next couple, uh, we're going to see him getting an extended look at left tackle. You know, Ron Rivera said he's going to give guys, especially the first few weeks, he, he wants to see different guys in there, even though it's the regular season trying to figure out, you know, who the best 11 are on each side. Now, one guy I don't think is going to have to worry about, that is our next guy whose stock is up, and that, uh, yes, James Madison's own Jimmy Moreland. Bye, bye, bye! The mouse in the house. That's what we're trying to, we're trying to get that to start trending there. Mouse in the house! Jimmy Moreland, great game. The people's corners, the PR officials like to, like to call them, Really, really solid game. Remember, no Kendall Fuller in this game. Moreland has an interception in the third quarter that set up the second short field, second touchdown of the game for the offense. Also had six total tackles and a pass breakup. Solid. And this is a guy that, you know, can play both inside and outside. It also looks like with Jack Del Rio, you know, simplifying this defensive scheme, letting the guys react and do what they do best instead of having to think about what their responsibility is on each play. It looks like Moreland is going to thrive here in this system this year. Uh, at least we didn't see a lot of that of that mass confusion on the back end last night. So as of right now, the mouse in the house is trending up. And number three this week, I, I know we said, hey, Chase Young had a great game and all, but – how about his mate on the other side of the line, Montez Sweat? I think a lot of I think a lot of people last year. Okay, we got a 
we're going to have to work on that. I think a lot of people last year were were expecting Sweat to be Chase Young, and he wasn't. But I, I don't, I really don't think that was his fault. I, I think that I think that Young is is the tipping point. He's the player that's the tipping point in this whole front four. Um, and with Chase Young getting so much attention, Montez Sweat got a lot more one-on-one matchups. I mean, let's face it, you can only chip and help out so many guys. You only got so many tight ends that can do that. You only got so many running backs that are going to do that. Eventually, you got to block somebody one-on-one, and this front four is hard to block one-on-one, and that's why I think you saw Montez Sweat such a factor yesterday. Not to mention the fact his speed. Man, I saw him run a couple of guys down from behind. Uh, Two tackles behind the line of scrimmage, a sack, eight tackles total. Again, uh, this we we've been we said it all summer that this defensive line could be something special, and it looks like they are on their way to doing just that. I know, I know, the air raid offense, Cliff Kingsbury coming up this weekend. If they get thirty points hung on them this week, we might be talking a, a completely different story. But look, no matter what you think about the fact that the Eagles were banged up coming in and that they lost another tackle during the game. Your defense, if it's good, your defensive line, if it's good, is supposed to dominate in situations like that. It's, and how many times have we seen in the past when a Redskins team, especially a Redskins defense, has had that exact same thing happen, and yet the backups that come in all of a sudden wind up having a career day? And it didn't happen yesterday. What happened was exactly what was supposed to happen, and that's that the defense dominated. So it makes things very interesting as they head to Arizona this week. Maybe in the middle of summer, the Capitals may be home from the bubble, but we got some hockey to talk about today because the Caps have them a new head coach. Joining us now from the nation's capital is Washington Capitals beat reporter Samantha Pell of the Washington Post. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. I guess judging by what I've seen in the Twitterverse, uh, Caps fans are breathing a sigh of relief that it was not Mike Babcock that was named head coach today, right? (laughs) Absolutely, yep. The Washington Capitals have hired Peter Laviolette to be their next head coach. He's going to be on a three-year deal here in Washington, so yeah, he replaces Todd Reardon, who was fired in late August. And yeah, I guess we're going to see how things go with uh, Peter here. But it seems to be a good hire right off the bat. I was get, That was, that was going to be my first question. So you look at the numbers, and it seems to make sense. The guy's been to, off the top of my head, I think it was 14 playoff appearances in like 20 years of head coaching, uh, three trips to the Stanley Cup Finals. Of course, he won the Cup with Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, it, when you look at it on the surface, it looks like, you know, he would be the perfect coach for a veteran team that's got a limited window for being a true championship contender right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, during his time, you know, as a head coach in the NHL, he's been known to kind of get the best out of teams very early on in his tenures with some of these teams that he's been with, you know, Carolina, the Predators, 
uh, the Flyers, et cetera. So he's a really good coach, I think, in the short term for the Capitals. And they knew that in hiring Peter. And you got to look at the Capitals overall and their aging core, their veteran group. They're going to, you know, have some of the last few best years of the Alex Ovechkin's Nicholas Backstrom. So they really wanted to win now. And I really think they did hire a win now coach. Um, his uh, his style of coaching, how does it mesh with this current core group that the Caps have on the ice? Yeah, you know, I think for him, he's obviously very motivational, uh, very experienced. He knows, you know, when Brian McClellan was talking very early on in this coaching search, he said, you want an experienced guy who can come in here, push buttons and hold players accountable. I think Laviolette, he knows how to do exactly that. You know, everyone remembers the 24-7 videos. Everyone remembers, you know, him kind of being very fiery in that stuff. So I think for him, he's, I think he is going to mesh with this group. I think it might take some time. You know, I think obviously every coach is different in their coaching style and how players will react. But I think only time will tell, I think. But overall, I think the guys are really going to respect him in that room, which is key. All right. Now I'm, I'm going to ask you a very basic question here um, because it, it, it kind of concerns defense. I remember watching the Predators uh, run to the finals a couple of years ago and, you know, they, they've, they've nicknamed the club Smashville and the car and the sledgehammers and stuff like that. Was that kind of a, a reflection on Laviolette's coaching style? I mean, should we, should we see a much more physical team this fall, whenever the season finally gets started, or was that just a marketing thing and I'm completely off base? No, no, no. I think, you know, definitely, I mean, you kind of look at the capital style in general, right? In the last couple of years, they tried to get more physical, they tried to get more aggressive. So I think they were kind of leaning that way anyway. And, you know, we'll see how these kind of free agent signings go. But if you keep a guy like a Brendan Dillon um, and some of those guys, I mean, he's a big, heavy hitter. He knows how to, you know, work the ice. So I think having Laviolette in is just going to be kind of like not the icing on the cake per se, but I think he can really bring his vision and kind of tweak some of the details out that the Capitals were really looking for in the last few years. Hmm. Um, speaking of free agents, of course, we, everyone out there in, in fandom wants to hope against hope that, that Braden Holtby stays. Uh, mm -hmm. I saw an article the other week, somebody, I forget who it was, but you know, they were making the case with the fact that there's a flat salary cap and this, that, mm -hmm. and the other maybe he's better off with a short-term deal in Washington. Is that basically just wishful thinking? I mean, is there any chance of that happening or is he gone at this point? Yeah, you know, I would say never say never uh, with Brian McClellan just because he has, you know, made deals and contracts work in the past that maybe looked kind of like, a, oh no, this probably won't happen. So I would say never say never there, but I mean, McClellan has also said this is gonna be very difficult to, you know, get a new deal for Braden Holtby right. and kind of get him an extension. So I think writing's a little bit on the wall here. I think his tenure is over here as the capital. And, um, you know, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, but definitely never say never, but I wouldn't uh, be betting on that by any means. <laughs> then, for, then for the love of God, who is going to save the stray cats if he leaves? You know, I have no clue. Someone's got to step <laughs> up. I don't know, maybe Jacob Verona or someone's got to take it. But. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Um, any other any other big free agents out there that, you know, that the Caps, that we should be looking at for the Caps? I mean, obviously, they're pretty much in salary cap hell right now. They have mm -hmm. just about zero room. I'm not sure they can afford the guys they have. But, I mean, is McClellan going to shop for anything, do you think, this offseason? You know, I think he really does. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the blue line. I mean, if you can't get a guy like Brendan Dillon back, you're going to need somebody else um, on D, or maybe they just decide to kind of ride their young guys, right? We saw, you know, Jonas Siegenthaler 
not get playing time in the playoffs there late. We saw Michael Kempney get scratched. What do you do with him? Uh, you know, you have Martin Faravari who got in the game and then didn't play. He's young and up and coming. Alex Alexiev, another prospect. So Capitals have kind of guys in their blue line to maybe come in and step up. But I think that's going to be a Matt call of do we want to bring in another veteran blue line guy in? And again, do we have the money to do right. so? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room here, but definitely not a lot. What is the state of, of the cap system right now? We've heard for so long, oh, no prospects, no prospects. And yet we see guys like Connor McMichael had a, had a great season in the AHL. And, you know, the, the kids that you, just, that you just mentioned, I mean, is the cupboard as bare down on the farm as, as some people want to suggest? You know, I did see, I think it might have been the athletic who did kind of the ranking of the farm systems. And I think the capitals were dead last at 31, yeah. just because, you know, they've had so much success over the years that they haven't, you know, had these kind of high draft picks. And, you know, Connor McMichael is a perfect example of a player who is really good, who just really hasn't gotten his shot yet. I mean, he's still young. He could probably fit in, but the capitals have so much depth already with the guys up there in the big leagues that, you know, he just really hasn't gotten that chance. So I would say, yeah, maybe it's a little depleted, um, you could say, but definitely, I mean, the blue line, I think is the big key there. They have the guys they want and they just kind of see how they fit in. And that's kind of the natural order of things. I mean, if you if you develop a bunch of young prospects that come up and star in, in the NHL and mm-hmm. you're signing them to long-term contracts, well, then there's really not a, not a lot of places for other young kids following right behind them to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, overall, but just, I guess, especially down in Hershey as well, they do develop players so well. I mean, a lot of the Capitals, you know, have come from Hershey. So I think it's it's been a good kind of stopping ground for them. Like you think of a Jacob Verona and, you know, people like that. So I think what they have going is good. I mean, would they want more, you know, really, really talented prospects? I'm sure everyone does. Um, But yeah, they just kind of have to take it as it comes here. Okay, couple, a couple of quick hitters then. Ilya Samsonov, is he staying off the snowmobiles for the rest <laughs> of the offseason here? What do we know about that? You know, we, we would hope so. I think we're going to probably hear more about that from Brian McClellan later, maybe with some updates. But, yeah, no, for him, the last time we heard from him was that his rehab was going well. The team was supposed to be checking in on him at that eight-week mark after his rehab, and it's already been past that mark. So haven't heard anything to, you know, hear that everything's gone badly. So I would say everything's still going well for him. And they still predict them to be good to go at the start of training camp. And can you explain all of the hate behind Mike Babcock for everybody? I was reading up on it, so I guess it, it's a lot of it's got to do with all the stuff in Toronto and then and and his past, right? Yeah, I mean, for Mike Babcock, I think for a lot of fans, a lot of Capitals Twitter, just from what I've been seeing, is they just don't agree morally with a lot of the things that you know he's done behind the bench, the way that he's acted. Uh, you know, emotionally and verbally towards players. And I think that's totally fair um, point of view to take there. And then, you know, you also have the flip side of, is he actually a good coach? You know, period, end of story. Has he had success? Yes, he has. Has he led teams to the final? Yes, he has. So a lot of the hate there comes from just a, I think it's a human, you know, it's a human reaction, right? Seeing some of those stories you obviously don't agree with morally, ethically. Um, But as a hockey coach, looking at a record, you also have to take that into account. So I think yeah. that's where the, the difference is. Very diplomatically put. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, so what's next? What should we look out for now, you know, the, the rest of the way? I mean, obviously, the, the teams that are still left are in the bubble. I, I guess we don't even know when the, se- when the, next, when the new season is going to start yet, do we? 
Yeah, no, we still don't. You know, the tentative date there is December 1st, but it increasingly looks like that's probably too early um, at this point in time, just because they don't know, you know, when can they allow fans in arenas? Will they even start the season with fans in arenas? Will they even start at their own home arenas? Will we have to have a bubble situation again? There's so many different factors that really they're looking at some of these other fall sports like the NFL, colleges, European leagues to figure out what they're doing and if they fail and succeed. So I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error at these other leagues. And the NHL knows the bubble works, but the NHL also knows that a bubble for all 31 teams is pretty highly unlikely that that will happen. Yeah. Interesting times in which we live. Samantha Powell from the Washington Post, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it, Sam. And uh, I am sure we will be talking soon as, as we get closer to whenever the start date for 2020-2021 uh, is. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. And don't forget, you can catch all of Sam's coverage in the Washington Post at thewashingtonpost.com or get a subscription. They deliver. All right, Mick and the clock on the wall say we got to get up out of here. Hey, don't forget, you can catch us on sportsjourney.com 24-7. That story is going to be up there soon. It should be live uh, anytime now. Who's up and who is down with the Washington football team for this week? Going to take to tomorrow off because we've got a lot of coaches taped to go over. Thursday, we begin looking ahead to the Arizona Cardinals. Michigan's insider Robbie Duncan joining us on Thursday as we break down that coach's day this week one. We will talk to you then. Don't forget, like the wise man once said, if you're out of your bike tonight, as always, wear white. <laughs>